Hello, thank you for tuning in to the VJ Hemong podcast. We are a multimedia channel that promotes the latest research in hematological oncology to healthcare professionals worldwide. Our topic of discussion today is the utilization of MRD, also known as a measurable or minimal residual disease, in the clinical setting. This hot topic has seen rapid advancement. What was once thought of as just a possibility is now reality that is featured as an endpoint in clinical trials to determine treatment efficacy, disease prognosis, and the likelihood of reoccurrence. Our first talk in this podcast features Bijal Shah of the H. Lee Moffitt Cancer Center and Research Institute in Tampa, speaking at the International Workshop on Acute Leukemias 2018. Dr. Shah tells us about the next steps now that MRD has been established as a clinically relevant measure. I think the first step is consensus. <laughs> I think that's, that's the first thing that we would want to do. We already have the data. The data on measurable residual disease has been published. There's even a meta-analysis published in JAMA Oncology not too long ago. The data is there. We already know this is prognostic. We already know this is relevant. I think the next steps are codifying it. And, and it's, it sounds fairly simple and very straightforward. It's more complicated. The, uh, but, but codifying what do we believe a CR is? Do we, you know, what do we believe a PR is? Do we still want to even adhere to those terms? Is a PR relevant? I think that that has to be the first fundamental step. It can be a simple amendment to the current uh, Chesson guidelines, or alternatively, it could be a new guidelines that are a new set of guidelines that are developed. What I would love to see over the next one to two years, because you asked, how will these evolve over time? I think we have to learn to layer in some of the molecular biology, meaning an MRD negative state in the setting of a high-risk genetic mutation, like p53, for example, may not carry the same weight. And as we think about response definitions, taking into account that inherent biological risk may be something that we have to think about. That is far more complicated. Like I said, we're not even at the point today, I would argue, where we're uniformly screening for CRLF2 rearrangements, for p53 mutations, and uh, you know, and the like, and and so if you know, again, we have to get there step by step. I think the other thing that could come from this, as we're bringing novel agents into the space, again, a very nice discussion about nalarabine, but we could actually talk about rationing the use of selected agents for patients who have measurable residual disease, whether it be blinatumumab, whether it be nalarabine. And again, this is something that we're trying to do in the context of cooperative group studies. Uh, but it would be very interesting to be able to say, you have this genetic mutation, you have this amount of measurable residual disease, this is the therapy that would be best suited to get you into a remission, uh, and then potentially also, um, uh, uh, you know, develop the role of bone marrow transplant. What I'm sound, saying may sound very far-fetched, but I would ask you to just step back and ask, well, how do you think about Philadelphia-positive leukemia? Because that's exactly what we've done. It is high-dose chemotherapy plus a TKI, often with a consideration of alginate stem cell transplant on the back end as consolidation to, uh, to, uh, to, to improve the likelihood of, of, of cure. So we already have a model that we can build this on. And in Philadelphia, chromosome-positive leukemias, again, we already have a model for MRD that's been well-established by using those quantitative PCR transcripts for the BCR-ABLE level, again, to help drive some of that decision-making. 
Our next talk features Richard Dillon from King's College London, speaking at the British Society for Hematology 2018 annual meeting. Dr. Dillon emphasizes the importance of MRD as a prognostic factor in leukemia and the exciting utilization of MRD detection in treatment protocols to improve patient outcomes. The evolution of MRD guided therapies, um, and I think that that's uh, kind of very timely because MRD is now moving into being clinically relevant to allow us to choose the best treatments for each individual patient. For the last 10 years or so, we've been collecting huge amounts of data on MRD status at various time points using a whole variety of different platforms and correlating with that to outcome. And there are now multiple studies kind of conclusively proving that it's one of the most, if not the most important prognostic factor in AML. Um, and very excitingly, actually, what's happening in the last few years is that's now being incorporated into treatment protocols. So what that means is uh, when you're undergoing treatment for AML, the treatments are extremely toxic. Um, and particularly for patients that undergo bone marrow transplants, um, they have a very high chance of having long-term side effects and a proportion of patients actually die going through the transplant procedure itself. So um, in order to improve outcomes for patients, we need to be able to focus those really toxic treatments on patients that are really going to benefit from it. And so that's what I'll be giving an outline of in my talk. MRD can be detected using two main techniques, next generation sequencing or flow cytometry, although there has been much debate as to which is the more appropriate technique. Here, Todd Drudy from the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis gives us an overview of the novel technologies that can be used to detect MRD. Minimal residual disease is the assessment for residual leukemia after somebody's gone through treatment. So historically that's been done with flow cytometry, sometimes with uh, specific PCR techniques. But now that we're in the era of personalized therapy, we want to add uh, molecular diagnostics through next generation sequencing. And so what my lab's been able to do is work out protocols to look at DNA, RNA, look for different types of genetic mutations. Uh, so we really want to make an entire technology suite of tools for the clinician to be able to mix and match to identify what's best for that patient going forward. What we call molecular MRD is going to overtake everything and so that's using these next generation sequencing techniques because the, the techniques that we've always used don't give you specific information on what treatments to apply to your patient. Some do, most don't. But the new technologies offer very targeted molecular diagnostics so you could pick from an entire suite of targeted therapies. So, um, you know, part of it is what is the cost, what's the turnaround time, those are, are really, I think, the biggest barriers. Some of the um, computing needs that these technologies require uh, are not available at all institutions, so that's another um, a big barrier right now. So I think those are, are the areas where things are going to dramatically improve in the next couple of years. Continuing with the detection of MRD, Ola Landgren from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center compares the two techniques in further detail. Speaking from ASH 2017, Dr. Landgren presents the case for why NGS is a feature for MRD detection. 
Using next generation sequencing for MOD assessment, in my opinion, is absolutely the way to go in, in this time of age. Uh, I think the older technologies with flow cytometry, although there are attempts trying to call it next generation flow and other uh, attempts to tweak it, it is still an old technology It has a lot of limitations. So the next generation sequencing, I think, is a, is a more robust and reproducible platform. And importantly, it has at least 10 times higher sensitivity and than the best flow cytometry set up in the best lab for flow cytometry. There are still challenges with sequencing, although it is a better technology, there is no doubt. So challenges include that you need to have a baseline sample in order to know what you are looking for after you have delivered treatment. So uh, the clinicians, they need to remember to ideally do an aspirate from the bone marrow, if you're talking about multiple myeloma patients, and send that for characterization uh, before starting therapy. If that was not done, uh, you can do it after one or even a few cycles, as long as there are a lot of residual disease cells. But if you wait for, let's say, four or five cycles, and the patient may be in complete remission, you no longer have the opportunity. If you still forgot to do it, uh, as long as you did a clot uh, section uh, of the bone marrow uh, at diagnosis, meaning that you did an aspirate and you, you pushed out uh, cells from the marrow and put them in paraffin, uh, now you can use those for clot sections. And the difference between those cells and the regular core biopsy is that those cells have not undergone decalcification. So you can use that too. Those are probably the key problems together with uh, the fact that there is a turnaround time of about the week. Continuing on at EHAR 2018, Dr. Langren considers the future of MRD including MRD measurement as a strategy for treatment-free survival. There are a lot of other questions beyond the use of MRD in the upfront setting and in the setting of patients that lose their MRD negativity and become MRD positive. So could we think of MRD as a potential strategy to even long-term stop maintenance therapy? A lot of patients are asking that. And the true answer is that we don't know. All the studies show that continued therapy seems to uh, translate into the longest progression-free survival. And there are some limited pieces of information showing that overall survival is also superior. But we have to keep in mind that all patients uh, are included in this analysis, both those that are MOD positive and MOD negative, and even those with a little bit more disease than that. So if we only focus on those that are MOD negative and follow them over time, and they had remained MOD negative while on maintenance for several years, could they safely be taken off? Or could they be taken off for maybe some years and if they, they lose their MOD status, be put back again? So those are other questions for the future. No one knows the answer. The patients are asking us in clinic and we say, we don't know, we need to develop more studies. Some exciting talks, I'm sure you'd all agree. Massive thanks to all our speakers and to you, the listeners. We invite you to join in the discussion so let us know what you think on Twitter at VJ Hemonk. To be the first to hear about the latest Hemonk updates, subscribe to the VJ Hemonk newsletter at vjhemonk.com. Tune in next time for more exciting discussions.